0: All right, so you can meet Danielle out there if you uh, want to bring your kids to Sunday school. And you can fire up the uh, PowerPoint as well. We have been working through a series in uh, First Corinthians. And uh, we are on verse 10 through 16 today. And the topic today out of this passage uh, happens to be unity. And let me just read our passage here first. Paul writes this, I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you uh, be perfectly, perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, uh, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that he did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Uh, this text is about uh, division, about quarreling, and about unity. And as we read this text, probably all of us here, most of us here, can probably relate to this in some way because it's pretty hard to live in this world without encountering division and quarreling uh, at some point. Uh, maybe you've experienced it in your marriage, maybe you, you've experienced it in in just work relationships, or maybe you've seen it at work, where there's divisions and quarreling. Uh, maybe you've been uh, part of a church where there's been a lot of quarreling and a lot of division. And uh, there's just any community will have it. Uh, even though we are very blessed here at the Junction, there have been times when there's been quarreling and division going on because we're a bunch of people who have a bunch of different ideas, and we get together and we try to Try to love each other, and that's not always easy. Uh, But we're living in a world where there are divisions, and and there's quarreling. And it seems to be in some realms, even on the increase, as it just seems to me, that it seems to be like this growing radical disrespect for people who uh, are of other opinions in this world. And so Paul, in this passage, is basically calling this church uh, to greater unity. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I mean, Jesus said, uh, this was in the context of good and evil, and uh, the kingdom of uh, evil and the kingdom of goodness. But it's true in, in a lot of respects that if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And that deals with marriage. If A married couple is divided against uh, themselves; that marriage is not going to stand. If a church is divided against itself, uh, that church will not stand. If If churches in a region, like in the Kootenays, are divided against themselves, I mean, the kingdom uh, just doesn't, it's not as strong, the kingdom falls in in, in a sense. And so unity is incredibly important, but it's also really, really challenging. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so let's work through this passage. Uh, Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And so uh, Paul is not in Corinth. He, he actually planted this church, but he's away doing missionary work. And uh, someone from Chloe's household had sent a letter or a messenger to Paul saying there's trouble in the church you planted. There's quarreling and there's division. So Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, and part of the reason he writes this letter is to help them be unified. And so he tells them that there should be no divisions in the church, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. (laughs) I mean, the churches are filled with all kinds of different people, and, and this church would have been filled with the rich and the poor and slave and free and all kinds of different people. And he says, I I don't want any division in the church. And all throughout scripture, uh, you don't see a lot of good come out of division and quarreling. I mean, the first big division that ever happened in, in the history was when Satan rebelled against the goodness and love of God. And the first big division you saw in humanity was when humans rebelled against the goodness and love of God. I mean, the scripture doesn't have a lot of good to say about division and quarreling. In fact, Paul will say that division and quarreling in a marriage or in a group is often a side of of, of just kind of being worldly. That's the way the world operates. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. You are still worldly. Now, why would Paul tell them they're still worldly? He says... For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Like This is like what humans do. They quarrel and, and they divide and they want to get in their own little groups to be safe and push away anybody who's different. Uh, but Paul is saying that that's not to be the church. The church is to be different. The church is not to be worldly. The church is to be godly. The church is not to be right. anti-kingdom. The church is to be kingdom. Yeah. In fact, division... And quarreling actually comes out of the sinful nature. This is what it says in Galatians 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And then it gives us a little list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. There's that word Paul used. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, and division. A lot of those words have to do with quarreling and division. A lot of those words have to do with uh, not being unified. That Paul says it's worldly to quarrel and divide. He he says you're just acting like humans, not like the new self in Christ. It comes out of the the sinful nature, it says in Galatians 5. Uh, One of the reasons division and quarreling is bad is it hurts people. Uh, When there's dividing and quarreling in a marriage, it hurts the marriage. When there's division and quarreling in a church... It it, it always hurts people. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in, and it gives a list of things that hurt people. Envy, strife, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling and that's what Paul is doing from his text today. He's warning us about words. Uh, it is of no value and only ruin those who listen. Again, uh, quarreling and division, it just hurts people. And, and, and there's been churches who have divided and, and people have left the faith and, and just been ruined and uh, over quarreling and over division. In fact, to leaders, one of the requirements of leadership that Paul gives to leaders is that leaders should not be quarrelsome And they should not be people who cause division. In 1 Timothy 3, this is the qualifications for elders, for the church. They're not to be violent, but gentle, and not quarrelsome. the church leaders shouldn't be people who are always trying to pick a fight, and always trying to prove that they're right, and everybody else is wrong, and they're not to be quarrelsome. They stand up for the truth, yes. Sometimes they may need to be strong, but they're not quarrelsome. Uh, In 2 Timothy, again we see this. He, He says twice, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. And so if you aspire to be a leader, uh, one of the things you may need to work out with you is this desire to be quarrelsome, this desire that you just always want to divide and conquer. Uh, if that is in you, that, that needs to, to leave. And because division and quarreling hurts people, and because not to be seen in leaders, some of the strictest requirements in dealing with Sinful issues actually is in dealing with quarreling and division. In Titus 3, it says this. And now notice, uh, usually when someone sins, like Matthew 18, what you do is you you get together one-on-one, Jesus said, with that person who sinned. You try to work it out. If it doesn't work out, then you you get a third party in there and try to work it out. If that doesn't work, you might get two or three others to help with the situation. If that doesn't work in, then you get a bigger group of people to try to work it out. That's the way you deal with most sin issues. But it's different with quarreling and division. Notice what Paul says to leaders. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Some of the strictest requirements are actually around division and quarreling. Uh, Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time after that, have nothing to do with them, you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. I mean, pretty strong language, but uh, this, this is strong wording uh, when it comes throughout the Bible about division and quarreling. And what he actually wants to see, Paul says in our passage, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He's saying to this church of diverse people, he said, I want you to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now that is a lofty vision. <laughs> you might say, Paul, you are nuts. You, you are crazy. That's like, that's even harder in a marriage, let alone a church filled with all kinds of different people, and maybe different opinions on non-essential matters. I mean, that is a nutty thought, Paul. Where would you ever get such a stupid idea as that? This is perfectly <laughs> united. Well, he gets it from Jesus, because Jesus actually used the exact same phrase in Matthew seven, when he's praying for the future church, when he's praying for future believers, he says, may they experience such perfect unity that this is actually what God wants to see uh, in marriages and families in, in, a, in a church. He wants to see perfect <coughs> unity. In fact, where Jesus says this is such an incredibly powerful passage. I just want to look at it for a moment. And part of this passage actually was already mentioned today in our service. Again, this is Jesus praying for every single person who would believe in him. He's praying for the church. He says this. I am not only praying for these disciples, that's the 12, but also for all who will ever believe in me. So that's us. Through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. That's just a crazy thought right there. Jesus is saying, I want my children, I want my church to be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. Now, how one is that? Because there's one God, three persons, yes, but but they are perfectly unified. They are one. The Father and and Jesus, I mean, you, you you can't separate them. They're one. And Jesus' prayer is, I want the church to be like that. I want every Christian marriage to be like that. One, perfectly united. Just as there's oneness in the Trinity, I wanna see that in my followers. Uh, As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me. So again, he mentions this, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them just as much as you love me. Again, I mean, Jesus has this ideal, perfect unity unity, as perfect as the triune God. So that's what he wants to see in this place. That's what he wants to see in your marriages. And notice this phrase as well. Jesus says, I have given them, he, that's, he's given us, the glory you gave me. In other words, the Father gave Jesus glory. And Jesus says that same glory that the Father gave Jesus, he gave to you and I. That we carry the glory of God. Do you realize that? That's the glory of God in you. And there are a lot of reasons for that glory. But notice one of the reasons that Jesus says here. I have given them the glory. Why, Jesus, did you give me the same glory that the Father gave to you? So that they may be one as we are one. Now, one of the reasons God, the Father, gave you glory just as he gave Jesus glory is so that we actually might be unified. So there may be no divisions, that we would be perfectly, as Paul says, and as Jesus says, united, as united as the triune God. It's one of the reasons we carry the glory. And one more phrase I want to point out. He says here, may they experience such perfect unity, and then he says this, that the world will know that you sent me. In other words, there's a powerful testimony in unity. That Jesus says here, that one of the ways we're going to win the world, one of the ways the world is going to know about Jesus is through our perfect unity. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we got to preach the gospel. Yeah, apologetics is great. But Jesus himself mentions here that one of the ways that we reach out to people, one of the ways we impact this world is through perfect unity. Yeah. Because again, we're, we're living in a world where there tends to be this, this kind of radical disrespect. And, and Jesus had a different vision for the church. He had a vision that lots of different people from different backgrounds would come together and love each other. That people who had maybe different opinions and different things would get together and they would care for each other and love each other. And so that someone would walk into the church and go, wow, this is crazy. These people are all real different and they really love each other. And they're looking out for each other. I mean, for Jesus' was, yes, Amen. Amen. And so it's a powerful, powerful testimony. We cannot make light of this passage. Though we really, really want to. Because again, unity is hard. But we like unity, like, well, oh, I'm all for unity because sometimes people are like, oh, I love this. This is great. But unity to them means everybody's gotta agree with me. Right? <laughs> it's all great as long as everybody agrees with me. I love this unity thing, but it's got to, it's like, no, there's a little bit more to that, right? In Philippians, again, there's the same phraseology here as Jesus, as as Paul. Uh, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Again, this idea of perfect unity. as unity in the church. He explains how to do it here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one, one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is not the mindset, I am king, you listen to me. Is the other Jesus mindset. This one, the servant one. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. In humility, value others above yourself. This is one of the keys to unity. This is one of the keys to a great marriage, by the way. <laughs> Whenever a marriage begins to go downhill, the unity is right there. A lack of servanthood, a lack of valuing the other person. I just got my own kingdom and my own world. I'm going after it. And it's the same in the church. Dissensions, divisions begin to, to, to enter into churches when people no longer value others above themselves. When they're no longer willing to listen. When they're no longer willing to say, hey, that's kind of weird what you're doing. I want to sit down and let's talk about it. I want to hear what you... What you they just kind of assume, they gossip, they go on the internet, collect a bunch of information, <clears throat> barf it out and this division. And, and, and there's no real loving conversations. <laughs> because it's not about valuing others. It's not about servanthood. It's not, not about... I mean, it can just go to the wrong place. And so uh, one of the keys here, as Paul mentions, is, is just... Uh, considering others as more above yourselves. Now, what was going on in this Corinthian church? Oh, uh, Paul says here, this is what was happening. He says, I want no division. I want perfect unity. I want oneness in mind and thought. But here's was, here was, here was, here was what was going on. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. They were dividing over leaders and teams. They're basically taking the family of God and saying, let's divide this up into teams. And, and so some people are like, I'm on Paul's team, because after all, Paul planted the church. We should be on Paul's team. He's the one who founded the church. We're on Paul's team. We like his theology. We, we like his thinking. We like his preaching. He's the best. All those other guys, yeah, they're not so good. Others, because we know in this letter, there were actually a lot who were disrespecting Paul. Uh, some maybe even thought he was a little bit crazy, a little bit heretical, even. Like there were people like that. Yeah, Paul, you know, don't don't follow him. I mean, he's a he's a wingnut. He's he's not the guy. You got to be on the Apollos team because he was the great orator. He was the amazing preacher of the day. Man, his sermons are just like, wow. Why would you ever listen to Paul? I mean, Apollos is where the team is at. If you really want to love Jesus and be spiritual, you got to be on the Apollos team. And others are like, I follow Cephas, which is just another name for Peter. After all, he was the head of the apostles. And so some people are like, well, you might as well go to the top. He's the leader of the apostolic movement of the day, and let's go to him. And and he's the guy we need to look to. We don't want to look to Paul, and we don't look to Apollos. You know, he's too polished. We we just want to look to Cephas. And others were saying, well, I follow Christ. And I don't think they were saying that in in a good way. I don't think it was like, hey, guys, we need to be on Jesus' team. I think it was like, you follow Paul? You follow Paul? Well, I follow Jesus. You know, I'm so much better than you. I mean, it's kind of the phrase of this text here. Uh, There's quarreling and and there's division and dividing amongst teams. And and really, Christianity is not a lot different today. You know, we got team John Piper, and we got team Bill Johnson, and team James McDonald, and team Andy Stanley, and, uh-huh. you know, team so on and so on and so on and so on. And how could you ever listen to that guy, that guy? You need to be listening to this guy. I mean, that guy's the oldest. And it is divided into teams, and that's, that tends to uh, what happens. But then Paul says, is Christ divided? Paul's saying there's only one team. It's team Jesus. Paulus is on that team. Peter's on that team. is on that team. Is Christ divided? Is, 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 is my family divided up into different teams? There's one team. Christ is not divided. Paul's on that team. Apollos is on that. And we can say the same thing today. I mean, Andy Stanley's on our team. And Bill Johnson's on our team. And 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 John Piper's on our team. And, and, and you can go on. James McDonald's on our team. And, and Billy Graham was on our team. and He's still on our team up there. But, I mean, we could go on. They're all our... There's only one family. Now, granted, you could be honest. Some are a little more crazy than others. And some maybe don't have it all. I mean, but there's one team. This is really important to understand. There is one Team, there is one body, there is one church universal, yes. and so we've got to be careful dividing up into teams and starting all these quarrels and conflicts and pitting one against the other, saying I mean, there's one team, right. just like in a family, there might be one family, uh, and people are in different levels and different places, but but it's, it's a family. And the body of Christ is a family. Is Christ divided? And the question Paul is saying is no, it's not. <laughs> There's one family. Was Paul crucified for you? Uh, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Notice G- uh, Paul is saying, Am I Jesus? Like, why in the world are you creating a team out of my name? There's only one team, and that's the name Jesus. Uh, we, we are under him. In fact, Paul says this later in the letter. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. In other words, there's only one team. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Why divide up in teams? Paul is yours and, and, and uh, Apollos is yours. And Peter is yours. They're all yours. They're all part of your family. Uh, John Piper is ours. And Bill Johnson is ours. And and all those guys out there, Andy Stanley, I mean, they're they're all ours. They're all a part of our family. Uh, There's one team, and that's Team Jesus. And uh, and that's the starting point. He goes on and says this. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Uh, He's he basically saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize all of you because I don't want you uh, me to become the hero. I don't want to become the center of attention. And then he had sort of the old folks moment where he forgot something, because they're writing it out, they can't erase. <laughs> yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. And probably, as he said, I, I baptized Crispus and Gaius, That. Um, he probably didn't realize he was writing Holy Scripture, but the Holy Spirit did. And, and the Holy Spirit's like, this has got to be accurate, Paul. So he probably clicked his memory. Oh, you actually remember that guy? He's like, oh, I remember that guy. So it has got to be accurate because right? it's the Bible, right? But Paul is being a good leader. Any good leader is going to point people to Jesus. A bad leader is going to always point people to themselves. They're in it for their own glory. And Paul was not that guy. Don't make a team out of me. In fact, there was a time where they actually tried to make him a god. And he's a good leader. So he he responds to these guys in Acts 14. Why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. A good leader will always point people to Jesus. I mean, these people are trying to divide up in teams, but a good leader will point people to Jesus. And the funny thing about Christianity, I mean, a lot of times we see all these teams out there, but a lot of times these leaders actually kind of get along. It's just all the followers that get, you know, up a uh, squirrely. Martin Luther. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Luther, who's one of the big famous Christian leaders, he said this. The first thing I ask is that people should not make use of my name and should not call themselves lutherans but christians this is when the lutheran church was coming out and of course there was the the calvinist church calvinism all these things were going after people's name Uh, martin luther said the first thing i ask is the first thing i ask is that people should not make use of my name and should not call themselves lutherans but christians what is luther the teaching is not mine nor was i crucified for anyone same language as paul how did i poor, stinky bag of maggots that I am, uh, come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name. Like, why are you making a team out of me? Uh, it's team Jesus. There's only one team, That's right. and it give you a messy team, and it's all over the place, but there's only one team, and it's our family. That's right. And just as you might have a messy kid in your family, you don't abandon them, they're your family. Just like we have messy Churches or different things that maybe we fully don't they're they're part of our one team. There's one team. It's Team Jesus. It's about Jesus. He is the head of the church, Jesus. Now, I want to talk quickly, maybe about five minutes, about just two things that help with identity. The first one we already talked about is the most important. In humility, value others above yourself. That phrase will heal churches, it'll heal marriages, it does a lot of great things. In humility, value others above yourselves. But another big point here is that our identity must be in Jesus and not in our theological opinions. Jesus is the core of our faith. Our whole identity must be found in Jesus, not in our little superficial opinions. Klein Snodgrass who's a scholar, said this. The drive to identify with someone, some group, or some cause deemed important, even if it is only a sports team, is enormous. Such identifications make us feel important. We need to belong to have some sense of fit in the world. In other words, all of us, just by, by natural and looking to get identity from things or groups or people, we can look to Jesus to get our identity, which is the right source, While some were looking to Paul for their identity. Some were looking to Apollos' teaching for identity. Some were looking to Peter's teaching for identity. Uh, We can look to sports teams. We can look to a lot of different things for identity. But anything that helps our identity, we always want to pull close. And anything that threatens that which we've put our identity in, we will always want to push away and and denigrate and and just kind of demonize because it threatens my identity. I think I've mentioned this before because I talk about this a lot, but... Uh, the the sports teams, they did a study of sports teams in colleges, and they found that whenever the home team won, then nearly everybody would use personal pronouns, like, my team won, our team won, my team's the best. But whenever their team lost, they would never use that kind of language. It would always be, the school team lost, they lost. They would never say, like, our team lost, because anything that threatens our identity, we wanna push away. Anything that helps our identity, we we want to pull close. And this often happens in Christianity. Because a lot of times we can put our identity in other things other than Jesus. We put our identity in Team Apollos or Team Peter or Team whatever it is. And if something comes along that's different than that team, we feel threatened. And we want to demonize that and we want to push it away. That's why we need to get our identity from from Jesus. Christina Cleveland, who wrote just a brilliant book. It's called Divided in Christ. It's all about... uh, Church Unity. But she said this. Uh, research conducted by Fine and Spencer and others suggests that those who uh, derogate uh, other groups are doing so at least partly because their identity is threatened. According to this research, the very presence of divisions in the body of Christ indicates that many of us are still fighting the identity wars of our adolescence. Meaning like when we're teenagers, that's a heightened thing. We're trying to get identity from places and, and, and it kind of, we still struggle with that—that that often we put our identity in the wrong things, and therefore, when they're threatened, we get angry and we demonize that person. We push, put, push, push them away. Uh, I mean, James said this again about quarrels: uh, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but. You cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight and often you desire what you desire is identity. And that's what we desire in the wrong places. And so when that's threatened, we often push away and and we demonize. I read this a few weeks ago and I'll read it again. It's Tim Keller. Idolatry functions widely inside religious communities when doctrinal truth is elevated to the position of a false god. This occurs when people rely on the rightness of their doctrine for their standing with God, rather than on God himself and his grace. It is a subtle but deadly mistake. The sign that you have slipped into this form of self-justification is that you become what the book of Proverbs calls a scoffer. Scoffers always show contempt and disdain for opponents rather than graciousness. This is a sign that they do not see themselves as sinners saved by grace, Instead, they their trust is in the rightness of their views, uh, which makes them feel superior. And uh, don't get me wrong here, because I am not saying in any way that we shouldn't have theological discussions or theological uh, loving arguments, because I'm all for that. It. That's It's really healthy to challenge each other. And as the Bereans did, always be checking the word of God, where is that written? It is really important to have healthy theological conversations. But the only way you can do that is if your identity is in Jesus. Right. If your identity is in your little opinions, you will never be able to have a healthy theological conversation because you always feel threatened and you'll always wanna prove that you're right and you won't wanna to listen to them because you're gonna demonize them because they're threatening your identity. Right. You need to start with Jesus. You need to look at this in concentric circles. Jesus is at the core of our faith. He is where we get our identity from. And then we have another circle, what you could call dogma, which is kind of a weird name. Uh, for like the essentials of the faith. The word of God as our authority, uh, Jesus being God, the triune God, the necessity of salvation through Christ. Those are are dogmas. Then we have, and and those are things all Christians agree on. All Christians agree on Jesus and dogma. Then we have doctrine. This is what makes different denominations. It's what makes one uh, church a Calvinist church or an Arminius church or a charismatic church or a fundamentalist church. These, These have to do with doctrine. And then we have opinion, those are sort of the gray things in Bible, whether you, you know, uh, like hymns or ladder music or, you know, Halloween, do you go out or stay in? Like those kind of things in the opinion category. But if you want to learn how to discuss theology, you need to have your identity in Jesus. That way you can sit down and if someone comes around with a different doctrine, you can, you can actually have a conversation without feeling threatened. And you can love them and listen to them and ch- maybe challenge them back and forth. I mean, I love, love, love more than anything. I mean, I got a master's in theology. I love theological conversations. But I love them when there's someone who is emotionally mature. I love having them when someone has their identity in Jesus. I cringe when I sit down with somebody who's got their identity in their opinion or their doctrine because it always goes bad, <laughs> because they don't want to listen. <laughs> They just want to argue. They want to demonize. And they just want to spew. And whenever you bring something up, they, they feel threatened. And, and they get, 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 get angry. It just, I mean, it becomes pharisaical. Becomes so please, we need to be people who put our identity in Jesus. And even if you come across uh, someone who doesn't follow Jesus and doesn't like your dogma, you can listen. You can respect them. You can have a beautiful conversation because you're not threatened. Because you are secure in Jesus. You're fully loved. Fully accepted, fully cleansed. There's no condemnation. You're you're good in Jesus, and it's one of the heart of church unity. Is that when a church learns that their identity is in Jesus, that there's team Jesus, it frees them up to actually have good theological conversations for iron sharpening iron, and it just keeps a church from division and quarreling. I mean, George Whitfield and Charles Wesley are an example. Both these people. Probably in top ten famous evangelists of uh, Christian history, very much different doctrines. George Whitfield, Calvinist all the way. Charles Wesley was a Wesleyan or an Arminius, and if you don't know who those are, that's okay. We're, we're not going to explain those now. Uh, but they would take up articles in the newspaper, trying to convince people that the other was wrong, like in loving, gentle ways, and and it, it was such a debate that some people actually wondered if they actually liked each other. One reporter came up to. George Whitfield and asked this question. Tell me, Mr. Whitfield, do you expect to see Charles Wesley in heaven? No, answered Whitfield. He's gonna be so close to the throne and I'm gonna be so far back, I'll never see him. Totally disagreed in their doctrine, but just this gentle spirit of placing someone in humility above themselves. And, I mean, and that is where good theological conversation, that's where uh, oneness comes, where you're perfectly united. It doesn't mean you have to think the same, because I'm sure we got different doctrines here and different opinions here. I, I think probably most of us are settled on Jesus and dogma and those kinds of things. Uh, but lastly, this is real quick. i will going be done. That unity is not conformity. So we don't want to get wrong doesn't mean that everybody has to think exactly the same. It's not what Jesus wanted. If he wanted that, he would have picked 12 disciples that were exactly the same. He picked the most radically different group possible. He had a zealot and a tax collector on his team, which is the most opposed uh, positions possibly in in those days. And he says, I want you both in my team and I want you both in my church. We got lots of different people here. And a lot of people come here and say, wow, this this church is pretty diverse. And it's like, yeah, because this is one of the the, the cores of our issues that we work together uh, on focusing on Jesus, and we have good conversations around our differences. In fact, right here in the Bible is one of the secrets to unity. Notice Paul says, so that there should be no division in the body. In other words, there's something before that which will equal, if we do, no division in the body. So what is it? Blessed well, Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And that's exactly what they were saying. I'm on Paul's team, we don't need a Paul's team, we don't need those guys. Paul's, word. We're, uh, we're on Peter's team, we don't need those Paul guys. We can't say that. There's one team, and it's team Jesus, and he's saying that they're all important. We can't say we don't need them. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and there are weaker parts of the body. Uh, there are churches that maybe aren't quite as theologically accurate. Uh, there might be some that are more theologically a- 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 accurate. Uh, but they're, they're still on the same team. As team Jesus. If, if Jesus and the dogma is in the, in the center, that's the same team. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat, notice this, we treat with special honor. In humility, we value others above ourselves. And that may be someone else in the church, it may be another church. Uh, And the parts that are unpresentable, there may be those parts in the body that we wish would just go away, (laughs) right? Uh, And the parts that are uh, unpresentable are treated, notice what he says: are treated with special modesty. In the end, we value others above ourselves, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And I just want to finish with this quote by Klein Snodgrass. We know what is required. We are to live To be in unity. We are not asked to like other Christians, to be like them or agree with them, but to recognize that we are one with them and share the same Lord and the same benefits. We may not write people off any more than one part of the body can dismiss another part. What this text underscores is that unity is not some non essential, some afterthought, or some byproduct of the faith, but it is at the heart of Christianity, and we know that. Because of Jesus' prayer. The revelation that came in Christ was a revelation about unity. If we do not proclaim unity, we have not proclaimed the gospel. If we do not uh, live in unity, we have missed the gospel's impact. This is what Jesus' vision of the church was, that we would be one, that we would be perfectly united so there would be a powerful testimony to the world that it is absolutely possible for really different people to get along and love Jesus and love this world. So Father, we just pray this over this church. God, we pray that there would be no division in this body. I pray, God, that we would be perfectly united in mind and in spirit I pray, God, that we would be people who are firmly rooted in Jesus, who get our full identity from Jesus, so that, God, we might be freed up to have beautiful theological conversations and challenge each other on on different aspects of Christianity. God, that'd be beautiful. And we pray that over this place. And, God, we pray for other churches in this area. We pray blessing on each and every church in this area. God, that you would be with their leaders, you'd be with their pastors. God, you would bring revival and blessing and encouragement upon those places. And God, we just look forward to what you're going to do in your kingdom, in Jesus' name.